0: Thank you, Natalie. This is great. We can have virtual Natalie here. You can also, we're going to do this thing where you can have her do videos for you as well to send to your loved ones. Good morning. My name, you guys thought that was a lot funnier than than needed it to be. So, my name is Aaron, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege. We're going to continue in our stream series. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And we've been going over this for the last 310 weeks, and we've gone through a bunch of them. We've gone through the Word-Centered Life, amazing message by Pastor Aaron on the Evangelical Stream. Then we had the Sacramental Life, a pretty decent message by Brian Carlucci, the Spirit-filled life, fair. Then we had the Virtuous Life, Holiness Life, a great message by uh, Tim Caressel. And now we're going to move into another message on the Prayer-filled life, the contemplative stream. And the contemplative stream is basically this, a life that is cultivating an awareness of and communion with God. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, you need no invitation. We just often need reminded. I pray in this moment that you awaken our senses, that we will be alert to the fact that we are in the presence of the living God who was and is and is to come. I pray in this time, Lord, through these simple words that there may be just an invitation of an open door to begin to cultivate a deep life of awareness, in communion with you. For you are good, and all that you do is good. Amen. About 300 years, a little under 300 years after the ascension of Jesus, after he was crucified, raised from the dead, and then he hung out for about 40 days and ascended into heaven and the birth of the church. About 300 years, there was this major thing that happened in the life of the church globally, and that was Constantine. Constantine was a Roman Empire, and up until this point, for two or three hundred years, Christianity had been persecuted. There was martyrs. Christianity was not popular. And Constantine decided when he took over as emperor of Rome that he was going to change things, and he decided, you know what? This Christianity, this religion, this actually lines up pretty good with the imperial cult. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to make it the official religion of Rome. And at that time, there were some incredible blessings that came with that. Christians are not being killed. Anytime you are not being killed for your faith, it's a positive thing. But one of the things that happened with it is there began to be this dilution of the values of following Jesus and the ideology of the government, the state. And they began to merge together. And it began to create a crisis, Anytime Christianity becomes very, very popular and is not under persecution, it is in danger of losing some of the values and the principles of the teachings of Jesus. And you begin to make these... kind of trade-offs, transactions. Well, it's not exactly how we should be, but at least we're not being killed. It's not exactly how it should be, but at least it's growing in the region. And so Christianity was growing, which is a blessing, but the burden was that it was beginning to be diluted. Religious leaders were getting to have political positions. And I just frankly say, wherever you end up on that, for that period of time, it was really dangerous. And so there was a group of individuals saying the chaos of this tension between the church and the state is causing so much turmoil that I've got to get away from it. And so there was this man and his name was Anthony. And this coupled with the reading of the gospels, the teachings of Jesus, which let me tell you, if you want to have a dangerous experience, just read the teachings of Jesus. And Anthony read the teachings of Jesus and just went, I've got to make a change in my life because this is radical and this isn't lining up of what I'm seeing in, around me in my culture. And also the fact that he was 20 years old and he grew up with parents that were Christians and his parents died and he was to take care of his, his sister. And so there was this crisis of what was happening in culture. There was this crisis that was happening as he read the Gospels. And there was this crisis in his life. And he said, I've got to make a change. And so he made provision for his sister to be taken care of, took all the money from his parents' estate, and he sold it and gave it away to the poor. And he went out into the desert because he said, I've got to find some quiet and some silence because the noise of the outside is matching the chaos of the inside. And I've got to go to a place that is quiet so that I can have a greater awareness of God and I can commune with him. And so he left and he goes out into the desert, like literally the desert, not just like, you know, kind of a valley where it's a little bit dry, but he goes out into the desert near Egypt. And there he lives and there he wrestles with God, wrestles with himself, and wrestles with Satan. But he creates and cultivates this inner life of a great awareness of God and a great communion with God that sparked a movement that continues to today. It's really fascinating and how the upside, upside down kingdom, that a man leaves and goes and lives in a cave in the desert just to be silent and encounter God, not around anyone, and people hear about this so much that they come out in droves to the desert to see a man who walks with God. Isn't that upside down? It's amazing that in fleeing, we are found. That in leaving and escaping this area to find peace and rest and silence, that there is something so profound. And then this movement goes on, and so this is in the fourth century that that Anthony does this. Anthony of Egypt, or Father Anthony, or Anthony of the Desert. He's just got all kinds of names, but they all start with Anthony. And he goes out into this place, and it births a movement of monasticism where people are deciding to say, I'm going to leave the patterns of the everyday, and I'm going to go to a place where I cultivate an inner life of awareness and communion with God. And so from this, he goes, and we see that there's the Benedictines from St. Benedict in the 6th century. We move into the 11th century with Francis and Claire, and we move into the 16th century. We have the likes of the Carmelites with St. Teresa of Avila, and we also have uh, uh, um, St. Ignatius of Loyola. And we see that this movement, it is saying that there is a tradition in which we go, I've got to begin to push pause on all of the noise and the chaos of life. And I've got to get to a place where there is peace and that there is silence so that the chaos around me doesn't affect the calm inside of me. Does that make sense? And then there began to be a movement in the 1900s with the likes of Frank Laubach, Evelyn Underhill, Thomas Merton, Henry Nouwen, and a whole host of others that began to look and say, you know what? This amazing movement that is made to cultivate an inner life where you can encounter God, where you can commune with him and be aware of him, it, isn't, shouldn't, it shouldn't just be for those who live in a monastery, but that we should be able to order our everyday lives, whether we are a stay-at-home parent, an engineer, whether we are a machinist, wherever we, whatever we do in our ordinary lives, that we are able to have this. And so their writings invite us to not leave and go into the desert, but to cultivate an inner space within us that we're able to encounter God. As we continue in this, the contemplative stream defined by Richard Foster, he says this, the contemplative tradition continually draws us into love for God reminding us that the Christian life is less like a rule book and more like falling in love. It stresses the value of silence and solitude and prayer. As ways we engage with God's presence, whether we silently walk in the early morning, ride a bus to work, wash dishes while the kids take a nap or even take a nap ourselves. Can I get a witness on that? The contemplative life is a steady gaze of the soul upon the God who loves us. I love that, that the contemplative life is taking all aspects of our lives and allowing it to be positioned in such a way that is aware of the presence and communes with God. And we see that this foundation, it doesn't start with Gregory. I mean, it doesn't start with Anthony. It goes back into the life and the teachings of Jesus. Jesus. I think one of the places that we see, and if you've read the Gospels, you see that it says many times, and Jesus went up alone to a mountain and prayed. And Jesus went into a solitary place by himself and prayed. And I believe this was more than the disciples were just getting on his last nerve. He's like, I gots to get away from these guys. But this was a strategic thing to say, I've got to get away I've got to get away, and I have to cultivate a space in my life where I'm just aware of the presence of my Father. And I want to commune with him. And he gets away, and he's alone, and then he's able to go back. And I love that he didn't just want that and model it for us. But in Mark chapter 6, there's this amazing passage where it's like, if you want to just see what a busy week for a Messiah looks like, like, Jesus, what do you do with your time? Go to Mark chapter 6, because he's like, cast, his friends getting killed, John the Baptist, he's casting out demons, he's healing people, he's turning uh, loaves and fish into a meal for 5,000. He's just like, I got a really hectic week this week. And it's so busy that smack dab in the middle, he says to his disciples, who didn't even have time to eat. They're like ancient granola bars. They're just eating on the way. They're like, we got to go. And he says to them, come away with me to a solitary place. To find rest. That in the middle of the busyness, Jesus, who had modeled this for them, now says to them, Hey, you know this pattern that I have to get away and to get quiet and commune with my Father and to rest? I want you to do this. And so, echoing from the life of Jesus, amplified from Anthony, amplified from Teresa modeled by Frank Laubach and Henry Nowen and Thomas Merton, there is this message to us here at Cornerstone that we want to be about the charismatic stream. And oftentimes the charismatic stream, well, that gets loud and rowdy. And oftentimes the evangelical stream, that is a lot of teaching and truth. And we have the holiness stream that worries about our, our, our virtue and our behavior. But there has to be the contemplative stream which says, come away with me. Come away with me, Jesus says. Be with me, find rest and peace. And that's what prayer is. Oftentimes we make prayer into the spiritual equivalent of an email. I got some things I'm gonna need you to do, Lord. I'm just gonna, here's a to-do list. If you could fire them off to him. If you could just hit all of these points, Lord, that'd be really helpful. Well, that's a form of prayer. It's kind of called intercession. But prayer is this way of cultivating a life of awareness and communion. And I love that Jesus models for us and Jesus commands us. But we see it all the way back into the Old Testament, don't we? We see Moses, times where he goes up alone to encounter God on Mount Sinai. And there he communes and talks to God and is very, very, very aware of the presence of God. We see Elijah that is up on another mountain. God seems to like mountains and deserts. That's two of his favorite places to, to meet individuals. But he meets uh, Elijah up on a mountain, and in the whisper, God begins to speak, and he is aware of this. We see that David goes off alone all the time, sometimes out of conflict, and sometimes when he's in good place. But I want to spend the rest of our time together just unpacking, and practicing. And so I'm going to share a little bit of story, a little bit of scripture, and then we're going to try a spiritual exercise. So are we okay with that? This is group participation. This is your spiritual aerobics class. I'll be your instructor. But we see this idea that the life of the contemplative life, the contemplative stream is cultivating and awareness and communion with God. And so this word cultivating, I wanted to have that in the root of our definition because it's the idea of preparing a space for use and caring for a space for growth. So you're cultivating it. Now I am not a gardener. Like I can only grow bitterness. That's about all I could grow. Like I can't grow anything. Like I, I can't grow anything at all. But I've been watching this week this documentary called The Gardener, about Francis or Frank uh, Cabot. And he was a man who lived in, in uh, Quebec, and he had a 20-acre place called Le Quatre Vets. And I don't speak French, as you can tell. But he had this land that was given to him from his family. And in the middle of his life, he had a midlife crisis. He had a couple businesses that failed. And he had lots and lots of money. So he had the luxury to kind of just choose what he wants to do. Not all of us have that. But what he did with it was amazing. After these failures, after this crisis that he had, he decided to cultivate his 20 acres into one of the most world-famous gardens that there has ever been. And I encourage you to go on to the streaming service of Amazon Prime and check out the documentary called The Gardener because it's amazing to see what he did. This piece of land, as he looked at it, he began to cultivate it in such a way that it would be and care for it in such a way, clearing out the debris so that it would be more and more beautiful, bringing in the right plants and the water features and these other structures and cultivating this beautiful place in this normal land. But I think that the language for us of the contemplative stream is the language of Gardening. Clearing out the debris, getting rid of that which is in the way, tilling the soil, finding the things that will take root in that type of soil, watering them, allowing them to get sun, pruning them. But if we'll begin to look at this to go for us to live our lives, as Jesus invites us to say, come away with me, we have to begin to cultivate the land, cultivate the place in our heart, I love Paul's writing and we say this, this is probably like one of our favorite verses here at Cornerstone. In Ephesians three, fourteen, and 19, I think this is the language of cultivation and, con- and contemplation. For this reason, I kneel before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I love that right there. It's the idea of God the Father is the the gardener, the architect, and he looks at our souls and he looks at us and he says, what I wanna do is I want the Holy Spirit to get in there and I want him to begin to take out the things that are taking too much room and I want it to be more and more space for your relationship with Jesus to bloom, to grow. And then it says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, that the soil of your soul is so saturated with the love of God, that you may know and you may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God that as we look at the lives of the saints who've gone before us and as we look at the life of Jesus who models getting away and cultivating a space and he invites us to come away, that the first act that we do is begin to clear out things, to make more room for Jesus. Teresa Avila, who was a 6th century Teresa of Avila, was a 6th century Carmelite nun. And she had these three stages of the, the Christian spirituality. And her first one was called the stage of purgation. That's a real fancy word. But purgation, it was the first place. What it really is, it's clearing out. How many of you who have property at your house, after um the leaves have fallen in the fall and the winter. You go in the beginning of spring and you start raking. My wife and I were taking a walk and it was like, oh, spring's about around the corner because people are getting their yards ready. They're clearing things out for new bloom and they're getting rid of that. That's the stage of purgation, that this place in our life, for us to have a place in our hearts where Jesus has more and more room, that we go through the stage of purgation. I often think it's a surprise because when we, you know, hear about accepting the Lord as our personal Lord and Savior, we just think it's going to get better and better and better. And was like, no, you just fixed all that stuff. And the Lord oftentimes says, no, 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 I'm fixing all that stuff. And the first way that I do that is we have to clear it out. In the writings, St. Athanasius writes about... St. Anthony, and one of the things that he experienced for the first years in the desert was just the torment of his own soul, of getting rid of these things that were in there that didn't need to be in there. And so what I'd like to do, this is a terrible Sunday morning early exercise to say, is I'd like to invite you to the exercise of purgation. And what I want to invite you to do is one of the spiritual exercises of simply praying the scriptures. And it's dangerous. I think it's dangerous to pray the scriptures because oftentimes what we're saying is, Lord, my desire is that your will and your words be done in my life. And the crazy thing is, he's like, that sounds great. Let's do it. And so what I'd like us to do is I'm going to read a passage of scripture. And then it's very short. And I just invite you to go before the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to cultivate a greater awareness a greater communion with you in my life. And these words that you have spoken, I want you to fulfill. Does that make sense? Here's the simple words. It comes from David's prayer in Psalm 139, 23 and 24. David went before the Lord and he said, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So basically, I'm going to give you a little bit of time and quiet. And you're just going to go before the Lord and say, Lord, it's time for clearing out space. Before we can toil the, till the soil, and before there can be planting, there needs to be clearing out. So Lord, will you clear out anything that's in me? So Holy Spirit, for my friends here, I just invite you to close your eyes. I pray for them that they may be able to go before you and say, Lord, would you search me? Would you know me? Would you test me and know my anxious thoughts? Would you see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting? And now, Lord, I pray that as we move into this next area, that you will show my friends how they are to respond and how they are to clear this out of their life. And may they know they don't do it on their own might. But you, Spirit, who convicts, will be the one who empowers them to purge this and clear this. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tiny comment before I go into the next. One of the things that, there's a lot of things I really like about God. One of the things I love about him is when we go before him and say, search me and know me, when we're asking asking for conviction, I love surrendering that to him to allow him to decide what are the things. Because oftentimes it's very different than the things that I would come with. And sometimes it's surprising. And sometimes it's a much deeper root than just the behavior we see but he's wanting to purge the motivation. Does it make sense? Let's move on. So we move from this place of cultivating. We move to the awareness. And it's again rooted in the teachings and the life of Jesus. And Jesus said these words in the Gospel of John. He says, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly I tell you that the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. So he will show him in even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. In this, we see that cultivating a life as a contemplative, as a person of prayer, one of the things is we look at the life of Jesus, that Jesus was constantly aware of his Father. He only did what he saw the Father doing. And so there's a model for us in this of being aware of God's presence. And two things I want to say about this. The reality of God's presence. When he says two or more are gathered, he's there. Whenever his people praise, he is there. That he promised that he would take his spirit when we confess the name of Jesus and that he would fill us. That we are able to experience the presence of God. The reality of that. But also the proximity of that. That it's close. Brother Lawrence says you don't need to cry out very loud because God is nearer than you think. But oftentimes in my life, and I confess, that God is close and the reality of his presence is here and his proximity is very intimate, but I am just absolutely unaware. And I'm so grateful for the individuals who walk with Jesus on the road of Emmaus, who walked with him for miles as he was unpacking the scriptures. And they're like, this guy's an amazing teacher. And he's about to go on, and he talks about this in Luke chapter 24. And he's about to go on, and they're like, hey, 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 no, 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 no. Man who we don't know who you are, stay with us and have a meal. And as he sits down and he breaks the bread, all of a sudden their eyes are open to go Oh my word, this is silly. This is Jesus, the one we've been with all along. And as he leaves them, they said, we're in our hearts burning. But I love the fact that oftentimes we can be absolutely close to God and absolutely in the presence of Jesus, but we're just not aware. And so we begin to cultivate an awareness through different disciplines. Henry Nowens says, the practice of contemplative prayer is the discipline by which we begin to see the living God dwelling in our hearts. careful attentiveness to the one who makes a home in the privileged center of our being. And this gradually leads us to recognition. As we come to know and love the Father of our heart, we give ourselves over to the incredible presence who takes possession of all our senses. By the discipline of prayer, we are awakened and open to God within us who enters into our heartbeat and our breathing, our thoughts and our emotions, our hearing, our seeing, our touching and tasting. It is by being awake to this God within that we also find the presence in the world around us. The Apostle Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts would be open. And David writes these words and says at the end of Psalm 27, I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living but that there be within us an awareness of the presence of God. Moses in Exodus was at a place where he's just saying, God, I need to see your glory. I need to be aware of you. And so he says, God, can I see your glory? And God says, you can't handle my glory. He says, I want to see your glory. You can't handle my glory, but I want to see your glory. He's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. You're going to head up on the mountain. You're going to hide in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to pass by you. I'm going to put my hand over your face. And when I walk by, you're going to see me from behind because that's all you can handle. He says, that sounds great. And so Moses had this desire to see the presence of God and to be aware of the presence of God, even if it was from when he had passed by. St. Ignatius in the 16th century created this practice of a prayer of examen that we're going to do right now. And it's kind of similar to that. That sometimes when we are in the moment, we don't notice the presence of God. And that we have to pause and we have to look back. And by looking back, we see clearly, go, oh my word, you were there all along. And so this is what we're going to do. For the next moment, I'm going to do a really truncated version of this because it's usually for like 25, 30 minutes. You do this prayer, and there's a way to sit, and there's a hat you wear. Just kidding. None of that's true. But the prayer of examen has five steps. All we are going to do is we're going to review the day. I encourage you to check it out. But what we're going to do is we're going to get quiet again. And I'm going to invite you to think about this morning. And I want you to look back from the moment that you woke until now. So I'm going to walk you through that because what we want to do is we want to look back and see were there places even this morning where there were glimpses of God in the land of the living where his presence was there that I was unaware. And as we begin to become aware of the presence in the past, it gives us an alert to say what that's going to look like in the present. So Holy Spirit, you are here. And I pray for my friends. I pray that you will... Speak to them. And Lord, as we are in your presence right now, I just invite them to think about this morning. To recall how they woke up. What did you do right after you woke up? How did you feel when you woke up? Did you talk to anyone? Did you have your morning coffee? Did you read anything? how would you go before the Lord and say, and ask him, Lord, as I went through this morning, the last hour, these beginning morning hours of my day, were there any places where I missed the glimpse of your glory, where your goodness was shining through and I didn't see it? It might be a very, very subtle thing, might be something pretty powerful. Could have been in a conversation. Could have been watching the sunrise. Could have been as simple as the kids were very well behaved for a Sunday morning. And now as we move on back into this moment, would you just ask the Lord to increase your awareness and your alertness to his presence that is always around us? We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Did anybody sense anything that look back and go, oh, you were there? I just invite you, and that's a very truncated way of doing this, but sometimes it takes us looking back to go, oh, and the fact that there just was peace this morning without chaos, well, that was the presence of God. Or maybe as you look outside with your cup of coffee, there was a bird. Or maybe it was as simple as just saying, I got to church on time. Which if I don't, it's an occupational hazard, but which has really helped my church attendance. But I just invite you to do that just as an act of awareness. Look back to get to know what it was like. Oh, that's what it was like so that you can look for it in the presence. Okay, I'm moving on. We have a little, just a little bit of time. Communion with God. That we cultivate a life of awareness of and communion with God. And I specifically use this word communion because it's not one we use all the time. Most of the time we think of communion as bread and wine. But communion really is deep fellowship, interaction, connection, relationship. And that we begin to cultivate an inner life and an outer awareness of communion with God. That he is present all the time. And that we develop this interaction. Jesus said in John 15, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. He also said this, Jesus replied in, in John 14, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and he will come and he will dwell with them and make our home with them the psalmist wrote one thing i ask one thing i seek that i might dwell in the house of the lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the lord and to seek him in his temple this idea that our lives are to be lived abiding with god that are with god in every moment the things that we think are really spiritual and the things that we think are really ordinary there's a man his name as i mentioned before frank labach he was a 20th century missionary And he was known as the apostle to the illiterate. If you look at his name in education, he is one of the like stout heroes in education because he created forms of understanding language. And he would take it to groups of people that were illiterate. And he would be able to write uh, educational material in their language so that they could read. And millions and millions of people are able to read in their native language because of his work. He had an absolute crisis when he didn't get a job he wanted and went into deep depression. And at that point, he changed his trajectory from being a man of ambition to being a man of the presence of God. And what he says is he began to practice. And it began out of his disappointment. He said these words. He says, God, I want to give you every minute of this year. Pretty ambitious, wouldn't you say? I shall try to keep you in mind every minute of my waking hours. I shall try to let you be the speaker and direct of every word. I shall try to let you direct my acts. I shall try to learn your language. And so Frank Labach, uh, he had this idea of how do I live my life abiding in the presence of God with an awareness every single day? And he would practice this, just like someone practices any uh, anything. Because he says, just the privilege of fellowship with God is infinitely more than anything that God could give. When he gives himself, he is giving more than anything else in the universe. And I want to keep constant contact with God. And so, what he invented for himself, and I love that he did this. He called, he invented something called the game of minutes. And he had the idea to be playful, that it's a game of growing in deep fellowship with God. And so, what he would do is his goal was to be able to have one second of every minute fixated on the presence of God. One second of every minute. And then he would grow from there one minute of every hour. And then one hour of every day. And he would grow this, but he had this playful sense of saying, God, I want my life to abide in you so much that I'm gonna create my life as an experiment so that we cultivate this awareness and this communion. And so, what I'd like to do, and we're gonna to begin to invite the band up, is we're gonna practice a game of minutes. And I'm gonna set a little timer. And what I invite you to do is to realize and fix your thoughts and all of your being, that right here, right now, you're in the presence of the living God. And just being aware of that. And when your mind drifts, it's a game. Just come back to the thought. When your mind drifts again, just come back to it, okay? I'm gonna set a timer. Holy Spirit, I pray that you allow to fix our thoughts on you. And that we play this game of minutes, that you are close. And so my friends, I set the timer now. As the writer of Hebrew says, fix your thoughts on the things above. Five, four, three, two, one. Friends, as we close, the words of Jesus are spoken to us today. Not through me, but echoing through history as he says, come away with me and find rest. You don't need to head out into the desert, but begin to cultivate an inner life of a greater awareness of his proximity and his reality. And that he invites you to abide with him in every single moment. And that it doesn't have to be this agonizing thing, but it can be simply as beautiful as a children's game of minutes. I pray over you right now that the Lord may help you to cultivate and clear out the places in your life where there's noise that is distracting you. And I pray that you may be awakened to what his presence sounds like, that you may be so rooted in the word that the pages of scripture are so embedded in you that you begin to see the drama of God playing out before you, all around you. And that you may hear him say, I want to spend time with you because I love you. I bless you with that in Jesus name. May we be people who wade in the waters, the contemplative stream. And may we be people whose lives are prayer filled. Amen.